The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Oklahoma City Breakdown. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer at MixedMartialAnalyst.com, and today we are breaking down UFC Oklahoma City. But first, just a few quick notes off the top. Uh, first off, hope you enjoyed the early content this week. Um, usually don't rehash stuff and don't plan on doing that a lot in the future with a flashback episode or even the uh, Faith and Fire Poetry of BJ Penn article. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you shared it, uh, etc. And, and so forth. Really appreciate that. Just wanted to get something out to you guys early in the week because I knew my content as long uh, you know as, as well with the fight card wasn't going to be happening till. Uh, Later in the week, so there is that. Um, had some people asking about Bellator this week. Um, more than usual, I've never done a Bellator breakdown, in case you haven't noticed. And the reason is nothing against Bellator. I'm rooting for them to do well, especially this day and age. Got friends who fight for Bellator. Uh, two of them <laughs> this weekend: Ryan Couture and Michael Chandler. Um, you know, t- two guys just. Genuine dudes outside of the sport for what that's worth, you know, definitely want to support those guys and support Bellator, but tape delay is a son of a bitch, and again, uh, UFC's schedule is is a real son of a bitch. It, it, it's, we're, I'm about to have the rare week off, which week off means Dan Tom is jumping right to the next uh, international fight week breakdowns, doing DMV stuff, doctor's appointments and stuff. Yeah, that's Dan's week off that I'm excited about, baby, because that's how crazy the UFC schedule is. I don't have much time uh, else to do Bellator, especially if I'm going to do it and it's going to be a, a damn tape delay event. It's just really frustrating. It's really annoying. I'm not going to do the tape delay live sports rants that Ariel and so many other people have already covered. You know the take or the general take. You can count me in with that take. And, uh, you know, again, the pay-per-view. I don't know. I don't even know if I'm going to watch Bellator this week. We, we, I'll, I'll, I'll watch, you know, highlights or whatever, but... uh. But yeah, trying to be legal, law-binding, and a sports-supporting uh, individual, and it might be a little hard to, to 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 watch that one. So I didn't break it down. Sorry, sorry for the little rant too. But just uh, I don't think I've ever actually covered Bellator. Why I don't do it? So there, there it is. But 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 again, nothing personal. Much love and good luck to Ryan Couture and uh, my man Michael Chandler fighting this weekend. Uh, we got some new account social medias. On the fronts, um, as you heard last time, we have the Facebook account and Instagram. Not going to speed you, or not going to speed you guys. Not going to spam you guys with anything like that. Like that, it's just more um, putting the appropriate things in the appropriate places. Yeah, sure, it looks good for the podcast and stuff, which means you know your likes, your shares, your follows really help. But uh, again, in exchange for those, I'm not going to, you know, spam your feed with stuff. It'll be just you know the appropriate posts and whatnot, and just kind of another platform. Some people. You know, treat you know Twitter like the bad part of town, and I don't blame them. So you know, you're not Instagram person or a Facebook person. That's that's all good. You can comment through there, 
and we'll go ahead and pull up uh, stuff to the show from there. Although, you know, for the breakdown shows, there's really not much to pull up. So I, I probably won't be checking those or remembering to check them this time around. But for future top five shows, you, you bet your ass, kiddo. We're going to be checking those. Um, and uh, speaking of top five shows, next week is a week off, but I won't be taking a week off here for the Protect Your Neck podcast. That's right. I'm in the process of booking that right now. Um, so... Even though I'm in the process of booking a guest, we don't have we don't quite have a top five topic locked down. So if you again, if you want to suggest top five topics you want, you know, done like you know top five walkouts or you know, top five post fight interviews, whatever, um, use the hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast uh, at the pot, you know, on Twitter or just at me or at the podcast at me at the MM Analyst, uh, and then again the the podcast is the same addressed on Twitter as it is Instagram and Facebook at the PYN podcast. That's the, that's the address for all three, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter there to make it kind of easy. Um, and if you want to email too, uh, again, I, I don't, I don't stress it too much, but, uh, if you want to email, you know, 140 characters is a little tough. You want something answered. Maybe there's just some random like fight theory or you want my, you know, a weigh in on, on, on certain betting things or something, some kind of theory or principle I can kind of speak to that makes sense or maybe a, a technique thing that maybe I can speak to again I'm not the best on any of those <laughs> nowhere near the best but um, you know I like to think that I provide a unique uh, unique side and unique viewpoint and although the show is free I do treat it like a service that being said it's, it's, it's going to remain a free service uh, along with my breakdowns along with the database along with everything at MixedMartialAnalyst.com, where you can find the episodes of this archive that will remain free. But uh, if you do want to support without spending any money, we have click-throughs. Again, we have the Onnit and uh, DraftKings click-throughs up right now. That Those are your poisons. And I thought we'd have it up by now, but shortly within the week, we'll have an Amazon click-through, which will be super helpful. So if you all want to support without spending any extra money, next time you make your purchases, go, go ahead and click-through. kicks us back some. And, uh, yeah, everybody's conscience is eased or if you, you know, really feel, uh, you know, uh, if you really feel inclined, you can also do the PayPal donate, which will also give you a special shout out on the show. As you heard, uh, I, I gave, uh, uh, Benjamin a, a special shout for his donation. Thanks again, Ben, for that. Uh, all right. Formalities basically aside, speaking of booking the next show, um, was going to try to get another guest on there, uh, but just kind of. Uh, with the the format, the way things are kind of going was 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 a little tough. Again, this isn't kind of like a typical interview show. So unless it's like I'm having someone on for the breakdown and we're going down the betting and technical angles of a full card or doing a top five, where we're focusing on a topic, um, you, you know, again, not you know, uh, like I, I was talking with my man, uh, Money Money Blake Weather from the Loaded Joe's podcast, who had me on last night. Shout out, thank you, Blake. Uh, we're, we're, we're saying there's no rules in podcasting, so you know I could maybe do interviews uh, in the future, but um, but I was trying to uh, squeeze one in with a referee who, who's you know I've heard on podcasts before, respectable guy Bobby Wombatcher, shout out Ref Bobby. I uh, heard him on, on some other podcasts, and he 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 was curious if I wanted to talk about the Tim Hag thing because I kind of posted on Twitter that uh, it was uh, you know. Eh, I kind of you know this stuff kind of hits me, and don't worry. I'm, I'm, uh, of all the rants I do, I'm going to actually to really keep this very short here, so don't don't worry. But um, I did want to address it, so then uh, that's part of the reason why I'm not having someone on to address it. I was going to address it now. As far as the article I was hinting at, um, there's a lot of great articles that came out, and I'm glad you know. Uh, regardless of your cynicisms for clicks or your your, your what you think the media's intents are, and, and the 
the truth, I do accompany that. Um, I do, if we are going to, you know, put articles and focus on something, it should be things that bring awareness to our sport, even if they're not the prettiest things like this. And uh, there's a lot of great articles about, you know, how essentially it's just a little bit of everything. It's just the system that's kind of broken. It's kind of facilitates from the corner to the referees, the officials, and so forth, the cultures and 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 all that stuff that that comes with our sport. And I'm not going to wax on about that, but I guess my thing is, um, uh, if I do come up with something, it's not going to be till later on. And you know, won't it be irrelevant? Well, no, it won't be irrelevant because because I'll give you a little nod to what I'm kind of putting together. Uh, pretty much be be called chasing the dragon, where not just you know weighing in on my, on my thoughts, but much much more importantly, getting other people's thoughts, professional fighters' thoughts about why the fuck we chase the dragon, man, because that's, you know, all day, you know, I, I, I probably, you know, you think I'm a nut. If not, you soon will think I'm a nut by listening to this podcast. But generally, you know, you talk to people, you hear Dan, Dan Tom's a nice guy and this and that. And yeah, that's all great. Thank you. Appreciate that. But man, Dan Tom's got a weird itch. I'm not, you know, uh, the most violent person never have been, but, but there's just been something that, that just, draws me to martial arts and I say that because that's common across the board you know different flavors you you, you swap apples for oranges we're still talking about fruit at the end of the day but the fighters often feel the same way um, there's something that just draws you to it and you know I've talked about it here before you know uh, competing in martial arts for 20 plus years being able to get wins in you know taekwondo uh, karate uh Grappling, boxing, kickboxing on amateur levels, uh, except MMA, uh, lost the decision, amateur. Uh, and that was my kind of a monkey in my back still, right? It's my bucket list still. Uh, that's what I was, I got my concussion from when I was 30 training, uh, right before 30. The, the, the fight card was actually supposed to be my 30th birthday, which is kind of ironic enough. But, um, but yeah, man, I, I got that concussion. I still say, you know, even now, knowing what I know and how, and still dealing with post-concussion stuff from, you know, just made two years, by the way. Like, last week was two years ago since I, I got the concussion that I'm still dealing with problems with. I'll often tell myself, you know, how if, if these subside, man, you get back in there, get that win, and then get out. You've completed your list. And, and it's this little thing I quietly tell myself because I know how stupid it is to want to do that, especially as I get older. And, and again, with my pre-existing history, but then I see this shit with Tim Hag and just these other issues that, you know, with Matt Hughes, and I'm not saying, I'm not making assumptions there, but, you know, we start looking at stuff like Junior Seau or football players, you see what I'm insinuating in that regard, so whether it's, in other words, whether it's in the ring or the effects of the in, in the ring and how it affects and manifests after, it's just, it scares me, man, it, it scares me, I try not to talk about it too much here, uh, I, I know I fucking apologize way too, too goddamn much for being you know late with the content, but a lot of times, man, I'm I'm just having bad uh, bad days on 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 certain things, and uh, I'm not talking about like emotional bad days. I'm talking about like you know I wear glasses not to look like a hipster or anything because after the concussion, my vision went to shit. That's just a common thing. You know, I have light sensitivity, easily headaches. And it's just, you know, all these weird little kinks and stuff that kind of happen, you read, that are common. And uh, it's like, a, I was equated to like a video game if you have a life bar. And let's just say no matter who you are, we all have different capacities, different workloads, different personalities. But whatever, it doesn't matter. An arbitrary 100% life bar. You've had your whole life. And every day, depending on sleep, you know, maybe you don't get that much sleep. Your life bar is a little lower. But, it, you know, it stays within the 75% to 100 percentile. Now, 
having, you know, dealing with the post-concussion issues, like you have a 40 percentile, you start your day and you know, you have a 40 percentile to start your day. And it's frustrating because you know, you only have that 40 percent and you, you know, got your sleep. You, you've been eating like a ketogenic diet. Uh, you know, I, yeah, Dan Thompson's like he drinks every other episode or whatever, but you know, cut out, cut out alcohol for like three to six months. Um, after it and just you do you do all these things and you still just kind of deal with that and and it's just just something you kind of live with anyways i don't want to rant on that too much just the end end game is there's what you find out is when you do research it and do get educated on this stuff is we you realize that science does not know a lot about the brain and that's that's the fucking scary part and i could rant on that forever so i'm gonna i'm gonna stop now i just wanted to touch on that that sounded very selfish i kind of rounded about about to me but it's really about to Tim Hegg and condolences to his family but seeing that just really rang rang a chord in me and I guess that's my unique perspective not to bring it on me in a selfish aspect but anyways that stuff kind of just just wanted to get that out there and uh it's just something I kind of struggle with in a weird way uh covering and writing about the sport now making this transition from the competitor to the you know, behind the keyboard is just weird, and seeing this stuff is all the all the weirder. All right, now onto the positive. Let's get to the fucking breakdown. Uh, UFC Oklahoma City. We're gonna start as per usual, um, bottom to top. When we're previewing the card and the fight pass portion, we have Josh Stansberry, who I always want to call him Stansfield, and I'm like, what the fuck is Stansfield? And I'm like, oh, it's uh, fucking Leon the Professional, you know, Stansfield. At your service. This is for Matilda. All right, sorry. I love that movie. But uh, no, it's it's not Stansfield. It's Stansbury, and he is fighting, that's right, Roy Nelson Light. Jeremy Kimball. Uh, Jeremy Kimball, plus 150 underdog. Uh, Stansbury, minus uh, 170 favorite. Um, yeah, this is not officially on the avoid list. I might have put a, a, a degenerate dollar bet on there just to make it interesting for fun. But really... Nothing I recommending you play here, although the pick is Stansbury. I do have to side with the favorite. Jeremy Kilbo, don't let the physique fool you. You know, he's he's deceptively athletic, he can change levels really fast. Um, really throws uh throws fast and throws some heat off his kicks off the lead leg and will kinda come back with a hook or vice versa off the power leg and with a lead hook. And he kinda has these uh really powerful strike triggers. It's just he seems inconsistent on when he when he throws it. Um I think this is a bad matchup, though, because Jeremy Kimball, again, used to fight at 185, had trouble making the weight, even had trouble making a 205 bout, you know, in the regional scene. Uh, growing kid, I mean, he's 23, he's going to get bigger. I'm sure he is a natural 205, or at least will be. But Stansberry's a pretty big 205. I mean, you know, uh, you look at his record, fought guys like Miocic on his amateur career years ago. Um, but since then, he hasn't really been stopped, minus Khalil Roundtree. But Khalil Roundtree is a hitter. And, you know, I, again, uh, knew Khalil from before he started fighting and watched him kind of come up on the amateur scenes. And he was icing heavyweights like like crazy. Uh, dude's got heavy hands. So unless you're like a supernatural hitter or just a really big, you know, heavyweight, um, Josh Stansberry looks to take shots very well. Uh, he's got a good check hook of his own, some boxing background, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know how how serious, but you know his hands are his his hands are pretty, are a confident point of his game, despite being a quote unquote wrestler for his base, if you will. But his his wrestling's pretty good. Is 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 you know he 
he'll kind of stagnatize in the clinch a little bit too much. And you know, if you've watched a couple, you know, some of his fights, you'll see it tends to slow down on the pace. So this is definitely one of those fights that get uglier as it goes longer. Um, it's a big stay away, but I think he can shut down and take Jeremy Kimball down and kind of work him from there. Stansbury's got some really, uh, really strong ground and pound, and uh, yeah, could get the job done. All right, uh, next one I believe is uh, Johnny Case plus one hundred five uh, with a minus one twenty five favorite Tony Martin. He is facing. All right, yeah, that is the next one. Um, yeah, this is the no, not that, not the only. This is one. This is one of the few official dog picks on the card. I got Johnny Case here. Um, Tony Martin's made quietly made improvements. You know, it's funny. It's like. Maybe it's because I've spent so many times, you know, watching those guys' tape footage, but the Benil Daryush and Rashid Magomedov, I think those performances are burnt so much in our head that we don't realize that Tony Martin's made some improvements. Um, and as he should, he's young. And although, you know, fighting once a year for the last three years isn't necessarily great, um, it, it also makes for improvements. And again, he hasn't come out and looked like a drastically different fighter, but he has improved. You know, he, he's a dog, man. He, he hustles for things. That's why he was able to submit black belts. Granted, Fabrizio's Camoys was kind of getting submitted, hasn't fought since then, and was on like a three-fight losing streak or something like that. But still, you, it was just kind of an example how, you know, Tony Martin's like a dog on a bone. When he grabs something, he'll chase it. And to his own detriment, because, you know, he'll sell out on stuff and we'd see him get tired. But even though there is a, you know, a slight fade over the course of three rounds in recent fights, he's also arguably shown... I think to, you know, manage his pace a little better. Maybe that's, you know, gaining veteran savvy as you gain experience or, or along those lines. But, uh, but, but yeah, I can see why he's a favorite here. Absolutely. Because, you know, Johnny Case hasn't been too active himself and he's coming off a weird performance or performances really if you look at his last three. Because I think in Johnny Case's last three bouts, he suffered injuries and adversities. Obviously, with the Francisco Trevino, the eye injury, UFC, I believe, 188 with the Kane and Verdum card. Um, and then, I don't know if it was his last fight or the Cabral fight or maybe both, but I believe he had a broken f foot in the Cabral fight. Um, and that was kind of weird. That's why he was allowing uh, certain scrambles in certain spots, you know, to get in deep where it was kind of scary. You know, it wasn't the easiest victory, if you remember, and go back and watch that fight. But nevertheless, I mean... Cabral, even though he kind of changed up camp, and that's usually never good, especially with these guys that seem to move to Spain because they don't have a developed scene out there. That doesn't change the fact that Cabral is a really talented uh, black belt, uh, you know, and, and that had uh, Johnny Case's back in dominant positions throughout that fight. And we saw Johnny Case, you know, use really excellent hand fighting um, and, you know, positional awareness. I really stress the hand fighting, but he really shows it a lot. There's a lot to Johnny Case's game that I like, but again, they're really weird kind of technical intricacies that, like, I don't, you know, I don't blame for not necessarily exciting other people, and then you couple that with, um, not, you know, you couple that with uh, the aforementioned adversities he's had to face in fights. I don't, I don't, I don't know if we really saw the the best Johnny Case, and then you couple that, of course, camp switches. You never see a good, uh, you never see a good time their first time out, and he switched to power MMA, um, which you know uh, gets a lot of criticism. That camp haven't been doing too well. Now he's at a different camp, but still in Arizona. I don't know the story, but he's with the MMA Lab, which another camp that gets criticism, though I believe unfairly. I think someone from the MMA Lab 
molested or roofied like a matchmaker's girlfriend or something because goddamn like they do not get favorable matchups in that camp like if there's a prospect let's pair him up with someone with a lab <laughs> you know like fucking this barbarina's career or you know um they get those weird like little you know stout dad bod dudes like Gutzmacher or Drakkar Close and send them out send them out there you know, with prospects or something. So, anyways, I, I I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. You, you know, he's training with good guys. He's probably one of their prize training partners down there because Case can kind of do it all. He, he's light on the feet, can switch stances, can give different looks. He can counter, take inside angles with that left hand and cross, which I think, uh, you know, um, will serve him well in this fight against Tony Martin, whose head's kind of upright to be hit. It just kind of is traditionally always been there. I mean, I think even on his Instagram, he posted him boxing, sparring, and he did it jokingly and props to him, you know. I always say, you know, those can be... Uh, admitting weakness in any form is the most sign of security in my in my book, but he's, you know, posting him not doing too well against boxers, but the problem was, not that he was not doing too well against a guy who's probably pro boxer, should be beating him anyways. The problem is that Tony Martin's still not moving his head very much. Um, it's still up right there to be hit, and... Uh, I think Johnny Case is going to do that. I think Johnny Case has the wrestling to stop the takedowns. I mean, again, it was a weird performance against Jake Matthews, and Jake Matthews was, it was the best Jake Matthews. Jake Matthews that hit hit him with two liver kicks, the most devastating kick. Doesn't matter how tough you are or how good your chin is, a liver kick uh, takes down all. And you know, Johnny Case took a couple of those shots, plus broke his foot after the first round, which you hear the commentary and corner mention. And you see him just stepping on it all kinds of weird. Um, and which made him much more less mobile, which then brought him being hit by said uh, liver kick. So, again, not making excuses, but it's just, it's all about context, right? It's all about viewpoint. You can, you can go off the deep end there and just start making excuses for somebody, sure. But I do believe it's important to bring up those points because I think they're relevant here. I I don't think there's so much excuses. I think. We could still run the risk of not seeing the best Johnny Case. It's been a minute since he's fought, you know, a couple months short of a year. Again, it's another camp change. There's always there's always a real touch and go with camp changes. So um, either way, this one's on my uh, avoid list because um, it is so close. But but I I, I am high on Johnny Case's uh, skills. But obviously, I'm not high enough to go tell you to go, hey, go go put your money on him, hence it's on my avoid list. That said, I did I did play Johnny Case here for what it's worth. But yes, it, it is on my avoid list. Next fight. I was actually really excited for this fight to happen to 11, but we woke up the morning of the weigh-ins, or the morning of the fights, I believe, after the weigh-ins, and Jared Gordon uh, had food poisoning, so his bout with Michelle Quinones, I think it's Michelle? Michelle. Um, sorry, but... um. But yeah, Quinones is plus 125 underdog, Gordon minus 145. I, I'm actually really, yeah, really excited for this matchup. You got Gordon who, you know, I, I think his like grandfather was like a, a pro boxer, like a knuckle boxer, bare knuckle boxer or something. But um, you see a, a very stance switching boxing style, which is cool. I, I like, you know, so many times guys are stance switch to just throw a liver kick or if they are a stance switcher, they're more of a kickboxer. Seldom you see like... Stan switchers who kind of just stick to boxing, you know, Young Bang, certain guys kind of come to mind, but you don't really see that too much. Uh, Jared Gordon looks like one of those dudes, you know, he could throw his check hooks from either side as he's stepping back, or he can step forward throwing combinations and change levels for a shot. You know, he's got outside reaps, inside trips. He's a real competent wrestler, but, you know, um, 
I, I don't believe he wrestled collegiately, at least it's not listed. He may have came from a wrestling base, and he's really aggressive against the clinch. And decent, it's not pretty by any means, but he's pretty decently effective, that's for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, again, his biggest accolade I even got to is his brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under uh, John Donaher, which is much respect. And, you know, you go on this guy's, uh, you know, Instagram there, and he's making the New York rounds. You know, he's hitting Henzo's in Brooklyn. Uh, I, b- I believe Henzo's a new spot. Um, got built, like, just after I left there because Henzo only had the Manhattan spot. But it looks like he jumps around from a bunch of different places. Uh, they're, like, most of the New York guys, which is good because there's a lot of good training partners, rooms, coaches, and stuff like that. Um, that said, uh Kinona is not just a kickboxer and karate guy like uh, his record would show. Although he's got really nice kicks, and you can kind of see just immediately. You just watch, you just watch him for a couple seconds without even knowing which fighter's which, and you'll know just if you're looking for a karate style which one's Kinona's. But more importantly, even though I don't think he's gonna you know want to be on the ground with uh, with Gordon, um, I do think he will uh, have a better shot there perhaps than what meets the eye, if that makes any sense. The little sample size out there on the ground shows not just fight-to-fight improvements, but, you know, a real understanding and craft of techniques. A lot of times, not every time, of course, but a lot of times when you get these guys from traditional martial arts backgrounds, you know, there's a knock on it as far as, I think Frank Muir said it best, like the reason why karate guys and taekwondo guys weren't effective, and maybe that's why they're only being effective now after this information's out there, um, was because they didn't, uh, they barely worked a heavy bag, much less, you know, sparred, unless it was point sparring or you're a point fighter. You really didn't get to do it. So you could do forms and all these things and all these different things to get your belts and all these different kind of martial arts systems and not have that same kind of experience as someone who's just been taking boxing classes and sparring for a year. As crazy as that sounds, but it's true depending on, again, depending on, you know, the martial arts school style, etc. But, um, but, uh, where was I going with that? Jesus Christ. Anyways, it'll probably come back to me, but, uh, I think what I was building to was Quinones can deceptively kind of, kind of wrestle and, and, and shuck, uh, shuck takedowns. Looks like he has a good sprawl and he strikes off the brakes to make guys pay there too, which is kind of important. So it's going to be a real interesting give and take. If Gordon can't get him down, I think we're going to have a fun, uh, a fun fight on the feet, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm not playing it. This is kind of a, a wait and see. Like, you just want to see how both guys do because it's it's two guys that actually have something to be excited about as far as newcomers. Um, these aren't just guys to fill a card, and they're facing each other. Usually, it's a newcomer against a crappier newcomer, or just brought in short notice against a guy kind of out of his league. Um, this isn't it. This is kind of just like, a, it reminds me of like a Pantoja and, uh, what's his face off the, uh, tough 24 finale last year. Like one of those fights to just get excited for. All right. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm losing all my points. I was, you could tell very sleep deprived, rough week. <laughs> I'll save you. But, uh, next one, um, Daryl Horcher who's up in the minus 400 range now. Wow. That grew. And David Powell plus 335. You know, I get it. Powell looks like a, you know, a deer in headlights, uh, Bambi legs, as I like to say, you know, uh, and Horcher, even though I didn't, you know, obviously I didn't pick him against Khabib, I did say he was pretty underrated. And uh, as far as, you know, he's a southpaw, really heavy handed, can counter and strike coming forward. 
And it was because of the looking at the, his fight with Khabib is what led me to pick Johnson, although that was obviously the wrong pick. Um, though wasn't as crazy as people initially thought when I first came out with that because, again, the countering was there for Khabib. Because um, it was even Horcher who wasn't, you know, even as successful as Johnson, which Johnson wasn't that successful because he didn't win, right? But anyways, Horcher still hit. The point was Horcher, you know, still had had little brief moments, and you go watch his, you know, fights in the regional scene. He's definitely he's definitely a gamer. Um, the ground game, though, not so much, you know, especially off of his back. I mean, he looks like he he's a natural scrambler, but you know, he'll float and strike topside, break off, strike and, and strike off the breaks from there. But you know, if he gets on his back. I don't like it. I, I don't. Uh, I don't. I, I'm not sure. I like that, especially against a guy like Powell, who I imagine is going to be measured. You know, he's not just a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but he's an instructor. Probably a deceptively smart guy. Um, you know, if this is later in the fight, Horcher gets tired. Powell's still around. Could be some weird things. It's an inflated line, and it almost it's so inflated that it almost made my official avoid list because of that. But I'm actually avoiding this one altogether, to be honest. I might put like a dollar. To keep it interesting, uh, and as a degenerate bet on Powell by submission, which is like plus nine hundred, that's you know that's the only way I see him. Uh, I don't see him using ring generalship through wrestling or striking to win a decision. And he's the uh, durable horcher out. I don't think he's gonna you know knock him out. So submission's kind of the only way you can win, and it's plus nine hundred. And what's an inflated line on both sides? Yeah, I think I might just put like one dollar on that just for, for just just for shits. Um, all right, next, Marina Moroz and Carla Esparza. This was initially going to be on my avoid, but I actually felt more confident in Carla as it went on. Maybe it's still a little bit of PTSD from backing her against uh, Joanna and Jacek before realizing how good Joanna was. And maybe it was because it just seemed like, you know, Carla had a bad taste in her mouth from not just that fight, but the sport. And it just was one of those things like, okay, is this where she kind of fades out? She made it for the to the UFC, didn't do well, kind of over it. Tasted gold. She's done. You know, uh, Faye Plant Market dude. Possibly, but you know, you're looking at angles to fade or the you know the betting and non-technical angles and camps. Again, not that I subscribe to that. I'm not trying to bash any camps here. If anything, I came to the defense of some camps that traditionally get bashed. Although I will say, man, uh, I don't think Mike Valley's record's been too good lately with his guys and. Uh, yeah, you Rodriguez striking coach for those who don't know. And um and yeah, that's where Marina Moroz. At first I was like, Oh, Marina Moroz finally went stateside. Where did she go? I, that's right, I saw her floating around social media and then when I got to this fight on the docket, I was like, Oh shit. She's she's there. Which means the closest jujitsu gym is Luis Claudio, who seems really good, but seems more of a kind of a fancy fancier stylist, more than a positional player or MMA translator, or this or that. Just a you know, awesome. I believe Hicks and Gracie black belt, but more of the small man scrambly. And granted, you know you want to look good for the countdown videos, but even just other footage and you look at the fighters he's trained stylings, it all kind of points to a lot of fancy stuff. So when you know, that's why I wasn't too high for Juliana Pena coming out of there uh, because her strength is positional style grappling and she got a little too happy with the float, left some space, got armbarred. Um, and Marina Moroz is usually the one checking people with armbars as she did Joanne Calderwood. And part of me thinks she can still get it here, which is kind of what scared me off from the over if I goes to the decision play. But, uh, at the same time I did end up putting Esparza in one parlay. Um, because 
you know, she's looking in really good shape. Uh, looks like she's been in the gym consistently, in good spirits. And, again, I just think this, this, this is a girl she can take down and stay out of the submissions um, and on the feet, at least, you know, kind of stay safe. I mean, Moreau's looked like she had some heavy hands and some volume where she can overwhelm girls, but then we saw that Daniel Taylor fight, and it just kind of showed me that, oh, she still has that gear physically and possibly psychologically of uncertainty to commit, and, and we'll get in one of those, you know... Sorry, ladies, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but one of those air-punching fights that we do sometimes see even at the high levels of, of, of the female divisions here in the UFC. So um, I don't blame you for staying away, aside from one parlay piece where I took Sparza straight up. Uh, I stayed away, too. All right, next fight, uh, Vitor Miranda is a plus 285 underdog to Marvin Vittori, minus 345. Uh, this was the closest, the next closest to being... A piece for my parlay was Marvin Vittori. I've been real high on this kid. Um, his last fight was Shoeface, uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. I, if you remember, I picked him. I picked him there. I picked wrong, but you showed kind of again why I picked him as far as his counter wrestling, uh, his improvements his into jujitsu defense. You know, positional uh, uh, awareness, grip fighting, clinch striking. Uh, you know. Striking from a distance, and uh, he's a southpaw, who I th which I think, you know, I think Vitor Miranda has difficulty with southpaws. You know, as we saw with Kamozi, Vitor Miranda really likes sneaking his head kicks over the shoulder, and of course, yes, in Muay Thai, when you have the same stances facing each other, you get both the inside and, of course, the f favored, at least by most people, outside leg kick. So now kind of all three of those are tampered with at different dif different distances, different angles, and so forth when you face a southpaw. So that could be something potentially technically and also just the fight-to-fight -fight improvements. I mean, Vitor Miranda at 38 years old when he hasn't fought in over a year, that's troublesome. Whereas, you know, Vittori, it's not been a year thankfully for him, but, you know, six months. No, six months not even troublesome really for anybody, but, you know, Six months, I guess the point is I'm trying to say for a young guy like Vittoria on the other side of things is that he could be a different fighter and likely for the better in that case because he's you know, 23, 24. He's that age where you were going to make those fight-to-fight -fight improvements. And before when he was kind of dabbling in the States, which very smartly, I mean, he was dabbling training at Kings MMA and stateside at other gyms, you know, even before he got to the UFC when he was fighting the Venator. But you look at the time spent in camps, it's been more and more, and, and I don't even know if he's living down here now, but his whole timeline, you know, as far back as for a minute, it was just King's MMA, which uh, which is good. It's good. It seems like a good fit for him. He's a young, durable guy, uh, a lot of stuff to pick up from there. Um, so I, you know, I, I think he's built a fight, built a train from that gym, and, and, and built to improve. Uh, I think he wins here. The problem is Vitor Miranda is crafty. Not sure if he gets it to the decision or, you know, how, or Vittori finishes or Vittori finishes how he finishes. So I would stay away from any props there and just put Vittori straight up in a parlay if you're going to play him. Um, you know, he's minus 310 in some houses. All right. Uh, last one on the prelims. Uh, and the first uh, official parlay piece recommendation. Um, we have Eric Koch minus 345. And Clay Guida plus two eighty five is the underdog. Uh, and yeah, again, um, just a reminder: these are these are just recommendations, folks. I'm I'm a reference point here. If anything, this week another thing this week's reminded me of is that I'm just a reference point here as far as you know the analysis and this and that. Um, there are plenty of people that 
are much better than me, and I admit <laughs> that much, and I give them shout-outs here on this show. So I, and I always suggest you to follow those people. I even have some of those people on my show, and we'll continue to do so. So, I mean, um, don't know what other bases I could cover for you. I can't hold your hand. Go to, go to the uh, betting table. So, though, I appreciate you all. Hit me up, ask me for opinion, uh, you know, or opinions to the point where you're showing me betting slips. I'm not making decisions for y'all, folks. Appreciate the compliment. Thank y'all for following, but do your own things and, and read, 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 read. I, I, I put it on there multiple times in the breakdowns. It's just reference. This is just my recommendation. Yes, I put the work. Yes, I, I put my money where my mouth is, but again, just, just recommendation, y'all. And my recommended parlay pieces are usually my more favorite, uh, favorites. Um, yeah, if that's even a fucking saying or whatever. But yeah, the first one is Eric Koch. Um, line line went up, man. Um, my, my friends out there be moving lines. Uh, uh, a lot of people high on Koch. Don't blame them. Um, you know, there's the matchup angle where, you know, you've got an older guy kind of looking on his way out and a younger guy who's took it some time off and is looking on the upswing. You know, he's got the moving up and weight intangible, although technically... Guida is moving back up in weight because he's going back to his original home of 155 for this fight. Um, but yeah, at the same time, Guida, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but a guy who just kind of had, as we steadily realized over the past 10 years, like how, you know, this guy's is terrible striking. And last fight, you know, he, he drops and, and, and is tagging and winning rounds from Brian Ortega. Winning the fight till he gets caught with a flying knee in the third round. That's UFC 199 a year ago. Since we last saw Mr. Guida. And, um, but yeah, I mean, he was showing improved left hooks, leg kicks, right hands, entries, feints, rolls with his strikes and punches appropriately. I mean, it almost kind of started having me backpedal from this. But as impressive as those improvements are, and yes, he's still training, you know, the alpha male, I believe, and whatnot. The speed and the other things took I saw take a drastic drop because if you remember we didn't see Guida before that till November, and he got you know, choked out within like thirty seconds or something with Thiago Tavares. But man, this guy's speed, reaction times, his whole just movement, even his cardio. This guy's the cardio king, right? And third round he was like tired and probably why he got caught like just very fatigued. <sighs> And uh, I think even though he surprised and learned some new tricks, I think the core and dynamic of who Clay Guida is and what makes him effective, I think that's falling apart. And more importantly, um, you know, we saw in that fight and amongst other fights, you look, Guida typically gets, you know, hit on his right side, which means he's usually getting hit by left-sided strikes of his opponent. And uh, he's facing a southpaw, which will give him a, an awkward angle. Um on his takedowns, as you see with Guida had when he was faced southpaws, whether you're going back to the Florian fight, um, or even the moments where, you know, Brian Ortega in his last fight was switching to southpaw and it was giving uh, Guida's issues. And it was when Ortega was switching to southpaw, whether he was throwing his uppercut or cross, that's when he was hitting Guida the most. So whether Eric Koch is coming up with his front kick or uh, Benjamin's just doing his little stretches back there. Sorry for him. But whether he's doing his front kick, um, his uppercuts and crosses and, improve, you know, ever-improving striking techniques, um, I, I like Coke, you know. And, and, and more importantly, although, you know, Shane Campbell not necessarily known for his wrestling, obviously, he's a Muay Thai guy, but, and it, you know, it was only brief moments we got to see um, 
Eric Coca grapple. He did show improvements in those areas in his last fight, you know, in the clinch, reaching down for the single legs, turning around, underhook awareness, uh, getting on top is top pressure. You get like solid. I liked it whether he was in guard looking to pass, um, half guard or side control. He always has that shoulder pressure, something I love, that shoulder pin pressure. He's pinning, pinning the face, and uh, it actually opens up so much for you. And he was using those things and, you know, kind of doing those high hips. And uh, I don't know if Askren is still making his rounds down there, but I think things are finally clicking with Eric Koch. So from technical narrative to uh, these these funny betting angles we like to use for our bias, I think they all click for me, man. They all do. Um, so I'm on Eric Koch here um, to get it over Clay Guida. All right, on that beat, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to finish breaking down the main card, UFC OKC, right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. podcast for the breakdown of the main card ufc oklahoma city and the track we are coming back to oh well, that's one of my favorite disease injury madness from between the buried and me the great misdirect the album really well written album although my favorite from them was the one before that was colors um again you probably got you know all those a little more western twang there they have a lot of different like they'll go offbeat jazz but really they're they're a death metal band at heart so you kind of have to have appreciation for that kind of uh that edge of the spectrum but they kind of hit all these different notes and it's really freaking cool by the way if you're familiar with that album colors uh the song son of nothing about five minutes and 45 seconds in that is my takeoff song that's uh that point right there i don't know if any of y'all have a takeoff song a song you have to listen to when you're taking off in a plane and at that point where you're, you're you're literally taking off and you're accelerating, you get pushed back in your seat. Between the buried and me, son of nothing. That's my that's my jam. If you uh, want to share your takeoff jam, if you have one, feel free to actually. That'd be pretty cool. Um, hit me up on Twitter or something at the P or at the PY Empire. Sure, that too. At the MM Analyst. Uh, I forgot to say on the Coke uh, play there for the uh, P- parlay piece. He's also actually our first pr- official prop. Uh, I took him inside the distance at plus 156 at half a unit there. But we are on to the main card. And speaking of the fight on the main card and speaking of awesome music, what about one of the best awesome music tracks of all time? That's right, baby. Papa Roach. Yes. Dennis Seaver. <laughs> Cut my life into fucking most misplaced, like... Okay, it's it's like 
this this fight, Dennis Seaver versus BJ Penn. All right, we got. Let <laughs> me get the odds out, and I'll get to this point. BJ Penn plus one seventy five, Dennis Seaver minus two ten. We um, yeah, we essentially have the most appropriate walkout song ever, right? Uh, BJ Penn, you know, coming out. Coming, coming, coming out to the, coming out to the, coming out to the Hawaiian jams, and he's Hawaiian. That makes sense, right? So maybe you know, Seaver would come out with something German. Actually, that might be kind of scary. I don't know, uh, but no, you know, you think maybe Ramstein or something, right? Maybe like Duhas. That would be awesome. Yeah, there's some Ramstein for Dennis Seaver. Nope, no, Papa Roach. That's right. Last resort. That is Dennis Seaver's walkout song. All right, this is number one, numero uno on the avoid list for a goddamn reason. Because you should avoid this thing like it is the goddamn plague. It's probably going to be really depressing. And uh, this is, uh, I mean, there's been plenty of times where, like, uh, I I, uh, I root against a pick. Or, you know... Uh, Maybe maybe some bias slips through here or there, but I'm always good about admitting it. And I'm admitting it here, but I'm also going like completely against the analyst hat because I'm going to get it. What? Are you going for Penn? Really? Like, I'm going to get that because no one bothered to read like, it's eight is it the number one on the avoid list. And uh, if you actually read that, you have to read the whole thing, even though I'm, I'm making the summary shorter, by the way, a little more readable for y'all. But even if you, you know are smart enough to just read the bottom couple paragraphs there, right, to get, get the gist of it, if you're kind of smart there. Um, you, you'll see that, like, Seaver should definitely win this fight. I, I say that. Like, he's he's probably going to just outpoint him in a very depressing affair. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm going against that, and, and uh, I'm letting hope creep in and going against the analyst hat and, and rooting for Penn because fuck it. Um Again, I did my due diligence, and I actually give a really good breakdown of what each guy does well. Uh, as I do actually give a reason besides the butt fuck it that I'm just kind of <laughs> butt fuck. Yeah. Besides from the uh, aside from the apathy that I'm just fucking you know exuding right now. Um, Bj and as depressing as it was to go back and watch that. Yair Rodriguez fight, he looked better than that third Edgar fight. It showed that that was just an anomaly, that weird upright stance thing that we made a big deal about before the Rodriguez fight. Um, and, you know, Penn, again, moments I can maybe count on two, maybe only three fingers, but he did have his moments. Uh, avoiding kicks and parlaying, even a missed spin kick and getting uh, Rodriguez to the cage. He did that surprisingly well, although he didn't try to take him down, which I'll get to that note in a second. Um, he, even though, you know, his jab's not there, he used to have one of the best jabs. I think, as I say in the breakdown, he'll probably only be using it more for a measuring sense because, you know, striking and timing is one of the first things to go. So, obviously, off the top of the list, when you get older, less mobile, less reaction. Okay, spin kick's going to be first to go. Well, BJ didn't really throw spin kicks. Okay, so we wouldn't notice if those were gone. But you start working your way down to the list. When you get to punches, um, jabs, in my opinion, would come before hooks and crosses. Hooks and crosses are like the anybody. Joe Schmo is going to throw. The brawler is going to throw, right? Um, so those are kind of the last punches to go. And BJ's always had really good hooks. His left hand's been kind of the quiet killer in his arsenal. And he still showed the triggers to throw his check hooks. He even throw check knees when Yair went to level change. It's just there was such a speed discrepancy. Like, BJ was missing with everything. But his triggers were firing at the right times. Like, his head was in the right place for whatever that's worth. And I'm not saying it's worth a lot. 
But for what it's worth, his head was in the right place. The triggers did show to be there. And even certain triggers, the fading back and hitting his counter right hand that he was renowned for, you know, he even hit um, Yair Rodriguez with a pretty damn decent one that Yair would later credit in the post-fight interviews and interviews after that. Like, hey, hit me pretty damn hard there. Um, again, you know, Seaver, who knows what his chin's like, who knows what his body's like, you know. Uh, lots happened in two years aside from Reebok, USADA, other things, and Seaver, a guy who's been popped, who has a weird uh, hunchback of Notre Dame kind of physique that... uh Although Stansberry has a weird kind of hump to his back that he'll be able to compete with. But, but yeah, no, 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 no. Quasimodo is uh, Seaver himself there. And, uh, you know, so who knows how he's going to look or act. But um, I'm not expecting it to be a dramatic thing. I mean, let's be honest, Seaver's pretty durable. I mean, took a lot of power shots from McGregor for him to start folding. Uh, I don't see, in other words, what I'm saying is even though I'm laying things out that BJ could do on the feet, I, I'm not. I'm not sure it's going to be enough. Where I do think BJ does stand a chance, though, is takedowns. And Seaver, even up until his last fight, Kawajiri, who is an older guy himself, but who showed past that fight that Kawajiri's not done yet. He's still tough. Is still a, a, a tough takedown artist. And, and Seaver actually did surprisingly well, despite losing a pretty clear decision to Kawajiri, in my opinion. Um, you know, it's just that Kawajiri was being, being dumb and going for these weird high-crotch uh, singles, and Seaver defends singles, like, really well. Like, in fact, it looks like, you know, from the George Sotter, he makes a turning point, uh, Seaver does, from the George Sotteropoulos fight on, where he almost, like, take it's like he took a pen uh, a page out of BJ Penn's book. And he's defending singles, like, similar to BJ is hopping on one leg, breaking the grip, you know, uh, hopping over to the cage, stepping his base down, spreading his legs apart, hoisting you up, breaking, circling, punching. Uh, doing the whole step-by-step, except Seaver has shown, always shown trouble, but even at his best and at his most recent with takedown defense, he's shown trouble with double legs, more particularly double legs against the fence. Well, what is BJ's best takedown and mainly only takedown he goes for? Double legs against the fence. And that's early BJ, that's prime BJ, that's past prime BJ. We, we've seen him do this. Um, we've seen him do it to welterweights. Who knows if he could have done it to Rodriguez because he didn't even bother to try. It's not that Rodriguez shut him down. Penn didn't try, and this was reaffirmed in a recent interview that I read because there's not a lot of media on BJ Penn, which worries me. That's another reason why, uh, again, stay away. I, I put like you know, couple bet, a couple dollars on him just for fun because I'm a degenerate fan like that, but and degenerate gambler like that. But don't suggest you do. Anyways, don't know a lot about the Hawaii training camp, which, as you know, if you know any of the BJ Penn tropes, Hawaii training camps are never good. So, uh, but, you know, that being said, again, I I think the double leg is there, and if he can get that, I think he gets his confidence back and can get Seaver on the ground, start working his passes, and Seaver, you know, even though he's underrated on the ground, he's a decent back taker himself, he's he's not that great on uh, off his back. I mean, he'll force scrambles, but the kind of scrambles he forces, I think will get him in trouble against a guy like BJ Penn who can float, chair sit, take the back when you go to bridge up. I mean, you bridge against a guy like BJ Penn, he's just going to ride you like a horsey, you know, um, unless he's compromised. So the big caveat here is BJ Penn completely shot. I think he's somewhat shot. That's for damn sure. We saw that. But is he totally, absolutely, completely shot against a fellow 38-year-old? The fan of me says no. The analyst says yes. So I suggest stay the hell away from it. Okay, too much time on that fight. Next fight is the second recommended parlay piece as... I got Tim Means minus 245 with a 
comeback on Alex Garcia plus two oh five. Um Ja Mirasan. Um Yeah, I, 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 I kind of been fading uh Alex Garcia for a minute, you know, he's one of those the, 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 those guys who, who spot on my radar as the fading type, the, the Worley Alves type, the musculature type. The, um, the problem is, is you know, Alex Garcia, even when he's tired, he's one of those guys that he has shown he can dig deep and get takedowns. And Tim Means, although he's improved in his wrestling, he has shown he still can be taken down um, against the fence, where Alex Garcia again, does his best. So that's definitely a possibility here. I mean, the problem is, you know, not the problem. I mean, uh, I'm hoping it's like this, you know, because you know, it's a problem if you're, I should say, if you're, you're on Alex Garcia's side is that I think the best Alex Garcia and the worst Tim Means, I think, I don't think Alex Garcia knocks him out. Tim Means' defense is good and his chin's too good, I believe. Um, Alex Garcia does not sell out for submissions, which I'll touch on in a second. Um, so I, I would see him having to take him down and edging out two out of three rounds and trying to survive toward the end of the third. Like, that's the way I see Alex Garcia winning this fight, and, and that's not a very high percentage at all. Um, on the feet, I just see him getting pieced up, particularly by that left hand, that cross, and that front kick to the body. Alex Garcia doesn't have the best kick defense, at least to the body and legs. And I see, you know, Tim Means treating him to the body like he's done to his last couple opponents, or at least, you know, really, you know, I remember really doing Saba Homasi too. Um, just kind of you know those little little tapping butt body front kicks, those little teeps, and then, and then doing those push crosses straight down the center. Uh, I think he's going to have those. Again, it just comes down to um, takedown defense. It is better uh, to to means to show better hips, underhooks, breaks guys' grips, spins them around, strikes off breaks, and we'll just go to slice town with the elbows, right? Um, and even when he's taken down, like he, he he's one of the few guys that do something I stress, which is the cross rip, uh, cross wrist, where he'll reach across his body, grabbing a wrist, forearm, uh, you know, framing with his forearm at the same time, tripoding up to stand. And even though, you know, I always say turtling can lead, lead to back takes. And even though you know Tim Means got his back taken and finished by Cowboy Oliver in his last fight, it cost him. He generally does it really well, even within that fight and the fight before against uh, Alex Oliveira, who I believe is a better finisher uh, and a more dangerous grappler, although less accoladed than um, many Hector Lombard there, Alex Garcia. But uh, we saw Tim Means, you know, use the, you know, immediately have that awareness to put his back to the fence like a cheese grater and scrape off his opponents from there. Um, that was just kind of a dogfight, an emotional fight. Uh, and, and again, uh, Cowboy Oliveira is, is improving from fight to fight, whereas Alex Garcia really isn't, you know. He, he won a bunch of uh, tournaments and, and, and stuff in jiu-jitsu, but you could tell he was one of those guys where he was just stalling for position and playing the clock because that's, that's the game that he takes in MMA. And it's, it's great, you know, if you're in a camp that facilitates that, excuse me, and, you know, you're getting wins and stay, keeping your job over the last couple of years at, at welterweight in a very deep division, sure, but it does catch up to you, as we've seen slowly, slowly, and then it finally did in the third round of that Sean Strickland fight. And you know, I, I like to argue maybe because I'm a I'm a I'm a pile, uh, I don't want to say pile market. I know the guy. I love Mike Pyle. Uh, can honestly say the dude took time out of his day to teach me quite a few things, and we'll always appreciate for that. But regardless, neither here nor there. I did think that aside. I did think Pyle had a chance. I think if Pyle didn't get caught. I believe he would have started building upon Garcia as well. And, uh, 
And yeah, I mean, Garcia's made improvements, you know, to his jab that sets up that big right hand that he's always had. And, you know, it's gotten better because of the jab. And he was, you know, props to him for, you know, getting Mike Pyle with it or whatever. But I don't think he can do that to Tim Means. Um, I think Tim Means, you know, it's hard because a lot of his problems have been outside of the cage as well. So it's not like uh, he's in some Justin Scoggins territory or I crap when I get to the top matchup territory, but there is a little bit of that worry there with all these coincidences for different reasons, and justifiably for the most part, about these different reasons that seem to stifle, stifle Tim when he gets to the top. Um, that being said, regardless if there's anything to that, I don't think that happens here. Um, I'm confident in him. This is, a, this is a guy I'm real high on, a real technical fighter, a fighter that's a sample size. We can see his we can see what consistencies there are, and I believe the consistencies outweigh the intangibles and or possible inconsistencies that I was just talking about. I think there's way more consistencies there as a top-level fighter. We, we know what kind of fighter Alex Garcia is, and although you could argue he's a top-level fighter as well, obviously, but the way these puzzle pieces line up, I really like Tim Means. Um, I'm, I may have played a second or third round flyer here for this one, maybe and play, put something on the inside line. But uh, didn't make my official list here for what that's worth. All right, next fight is uh, Joaquim Christensen versus Dominic Reyes. I was pleasantly surprised. This has felt like just filler all over it, right? Just quick turnarounds for both guys. Christensen just got choked out by Antti Guloff and his thighs. Remember Rogan and those and those thighs? Oh, he loved them. Anyways, but <laughs> that was a funny moment. But uh, but yeah, uh, Christensen not as bad as I remember, man. You know, he's a pretty decent kind of Dutch stylist Muay Thai guy where he kind of just works behind his long jab. But there's just gonna be a big speed and athletic discrepancy, and not just speed and athletic discrepancy, which I I, I knew from the little I knew about Reyes. But when I dove more into him, which I didn't dive you know super deep because there's not a super you know amount out there on him, but I. I can honestly say I got into uh, what's out there on him, unless you know something slipped by here or there. And uh, and I was pleasantly surprised by this kid. I'm hoping, in fact, that he could be a brush of fresh air. Um, again, this is kind of a wait and see. You want to see how you usually want to see how he, a, a debutant uh, does. So he didn't make my parlay piece for that reason, but he did make my props list by TKO at plus one twenty. I played for one unit because. Man, you know, he's the, he, Dominic Reyes is the guy who went viral for, uh, you know, the fight where the, the guy goes for a kick, or Reyes goes for a kick, misses, and his opponent, you know, gives him the finger nod and goes, no, no, no. Oh, excuse me. And then right after he does that, Dominic Reyes ices him with a left head kick and then nods, yes, yes, yes. Um, but when you look at his back and look at his fights, man, it's impressive. Like he's actually boxing seems to be the less accoladed thing. He seems to have a, be a, a mix of verified, to unverified accolades and bases and backgrounds. But boxing doesn't seem to be one of them. Although you wouldn't tell that by looking at him because his hands look good. And you know he hits that McGregor inside cross uppercuts. Both his counters coming forward can push with it. Again, coming forward off combination. Mixes the right hand in there well. Like, there's a lot to like about his striking. Like, I see him piecing him up and taking him to the ground because apparently, not just a collegiate, you know, football player, but also had wrestling experience. Grew up wrestling. Not sure what levels or for how long, but 
based on reports and stuff that I saw out there. And you could see it immediately with his style. I mean, he transitions and rides like a wrestler, you know, side rides uh, and punches and floats and just the way he transitions. It's very good for MMA, you know. Uh, and I think, you know, if he's a guy that, that hurts a guy and can't get him out from the feet or, you know, finish him quickly on the ground, uh, he's going to, you know, go to the ground with him, transition with him, punish him, and move and punch, move and punch, kind of, all like Cain Velasquez. And you see him, you know, in his earlier fights, I mean, even as an amateur, his fights as an amateur, the, there was enough there to make me want to pick him, pick him over Christensen, who, again, I, I, I defend Christensen here, in here. I don't think he's as bad as a lot of people say, but there's going to be a big skills, age, speed, uh, power uh, discrepancy in this matchup. So I actually may have put Dominic Reyes in one fun parlay in one of the houses that I play, maybe. But I did definitely do the TKO. That's on the break. The breakdown for plus 120. All right. Um, next fight, Justine Quiche versus Felice Herrig. Uh, Justine Quiche has been kind of bouncing between dog status to not dog status. Um, man, I, you know, uh, l l a lot of people I respect on Quiche, and I was initially on Quiche here. This made my avoids list though, because it is just too close. I I, I kind of went back and forth a bit, as you can tell reading my breakdown. Um, I, I mean, I'm not not exactly the most sold on my pick Herrig, but ultimately feel like the grappling is going to make the difference. Herrig has shown improvements in not just her grappling, but her wrestling, and not just her striking, but her boxing. You know that that, that break she took in 2015, saying it was well needed. It must have been well needed. Because uh, Herrig looks very much improved, but at the end of the day, this is this is why I initially leaned with Quiche, and I'm surprised I, I didn't. I'm still surprised I didn't pick her because it's one of those things where volume and aggression. You know me; I'm a very big proponent of that, especially these female fights where there's not a lot of sample size. I stress that a lot of times, and a lot of times it's the durability and volume that's going to take you very far um, in those divisions. And Quiche definitely has that. It's not as pretty as you would expect. You know, with her um, boxing and kickboxing accolades. And, oh, boy. And I'm not hating by any means. Uh, you know, I got a weird taste in ladies. She's got a lot of attractive attributes I, I can appreciate. But but speaking of <laughs> weird attributes and, uh, man, Quiche, Justine Quiche. Not trying to be mean here, but y'all seen The Exorcist movies? Or any exorcist movie, for that matter, where the female, it's always a female at one point, gets possessed by the devil, right? And there's, like, certain makeup traits for bruises, there's certain makeup traits for a sleepy character, and there's certain makeup, like, schools of, of thought, or, you know, basic traits, if you will, for when a character is possessed by the devil. And, like, Justine Keach, especially when she's fighting, maybe it's that eyebrow bone structure, just that deadness in those fucking shark eyes she has... Oh my god, she looks like a mix between the, the little girl exorcist from the 70s to the exorcist, the beginning revamp they did in like 2004 or whatever. Like, I see her, especially she's all bleeding and just keeps coming forward, Justin Keisha's in her fights, and I just, I can just hear that fucking possessed demon. Merrick. Like, every time I see Keish now, I just hear, hello, Merrick. Fuck me, father. Fuck me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it's just this creepy, creepy. Merrick <laughs> voice. Oh, God. Justine Keys creeps me out sometimes. Sorry, Justine Keys. I, I couldn't help it. I had to get that out. I had to get it out. That's not why I picked against her. God knows. I mean, I, I probably should pick her so she didn't come torment me in my sleep, you know? 
Then Tom heard you picked against me. Mm. Yeah, that's the last thing I need. Fucking nightmares about Justine Keish fucking demonizing my dreams. All right, but uh, yeah, I I stay I stay I stay I, I stay the fuck away from this one. Um, you know, I could see Harry getting her down. Harry's got really good um side control, shoulder pressure there. You use the pin, take backs, and uh, that's what it's gonna come down to because you know Justine Keish scrambled out of some bad spots before because what she does have, she has underrated wrestling often, like a lot of these. Muay Thai practitioners, you know, from the clinch to the way they ride, because they just have a really strong core uh, and constitution about them. And you really see that strong core and constitution in Quiche, because the way she scrambles out of these submissions in bad spots is she has a really, really powerful bridge. And it, I cannot stress the importance of a bridge. Lord knows I don't have one. I actually was doing a, a, a bridging drill on, on, on the floor um, during my little at-home workout yesterday. And I just remembered, oh, God, these neck muscles are brutal. But it's so important to work that because you just see how she bridges up through her spine and, and, and column and uh, how that allows her the space to kind of roll out, roll through, and, and, and away from these, from these bad spots. The problem is... If um, Felice is able to float through those bridges and rolls like she did with, uh, for example, Kylan Curran, then, you know, it could be Goodnight Choke City for Quiche, as I think uh, either a ground control with possibly a submission being Herrig's best path or most probable path to victory here. That's probably why she has maintained the spot of a slight favorite. But again, I would not be surprised for Justin Keys to come through. If you're playing her, good luck. My pick's Herrig. I'm sticking to it. But again, I'm not confident in it. It's it's on the avoid list for a reason. I'm not even confident on the overs, which is just climbing. Uh, probably getting near the minus 300 range. is minus 275-ish right now. All right, next one. Almost made it on a piece for parlay, but did not. Um, maybe in that second tier, if you will. But I kind of got scared of it here, man. And that's that's... As Johnny Hendricks is a minus two twenty favorite facing Tim Bosch as a plus one eighty dog, um, you know essentially there should be a speed athletic advantage here. Tim Bosch, I mean, aside from you, know, you look at a fight against Tavares, he was losing till he catches him with one punch or two punches, technically I should say, um, a split decision that could have gone either way against C.B. Dalloway. I mean, you, you know, uh, Josh Shaman, who was kind of, you know, at the end of his line. Um, in more ways than one, I guess. There, not not making a joke in, in any means by saying that. By the way, all respect, rest in peace, Josh Man. But like, let's be honest, you know what I'm saying? Like, kind of in hindsight, when we look at these wins, and it's all um, it was an underdog, rightfully underdog going into that, and it's all you know, older guy, not the greatest defense. You know, again, not necessarily a surprise there. And aside from that, I mean, he's lost and lost badly throughout the last five or six years. Tim Bosch has, you know, uh, can be kind of. Uh, Disturbing stuff. Let's see. I had a stat up against Bosch against Southpaws, but he actually did pretty good, pretty good against Southpaws, I think, on his record. I just think there's going to be a speed um, and volume uh, edge here, movement advantage for Johnny Hendricks, who surprised me, man. I thought I, I was ready to write him off. I mean, the sound of it, Johnny Hendricks was ready to write himself off, but at middleweight, he does sound rejuvenated now. I think he's going to run into problems at this weight class. I think he's too small for it. But I still picked him here. That being said, we haven't seen him against a real middleweight. Yes, Hector Lombard has primarily fought at middleweight, and he's not a small man by any means. 
Uh, I'm not about to say Hector Lombard isn't a legit middleweight, but he's not a tall one by any means at all. You know, he's 5'8", you know. Yeah, I think you know, shorter than Johnny. Um, Tim Bosch, this guy used to fight a light heavyweight. He's a big boy. So, and he used to wrestle at Lockhaven. Um, even though he's, you know, obviously older now, that's going to be the big thing. The clinch is going to tell the story of this fight for me, you know. How things go in the clinch. Is Johnny be able to get Tim down? I think if he gets him down, I think he can keep him down. I think Johnny's been returning to that styling, and even though he's not as technically tight in my opinion, he still allows for more scrambles than he would if, you know, let's say Mark Lehman was still in his corner. Because, you know, him and Mark Lehman had just a really good, you know, uh, tight system. And, you know, Sancho and Mark Lehman, he's a really good corner man. And uh, I think that was an integral piece that took a while for Johnny to recover from. But he's doing. He, he, I think he's settling better now. He's fitting in more with, uh, I believe, a Stephen Wright striking coach, a smart, underrated, underrated guy. And we're starting to see Johnny Hendricks, you know, start to do his own version of building mid-fight, building in combinations, and so on and so forth. So I think Johnny Hendricks can do that here. I think it's going to be a hard-fought decision against Boach. It's going to tell us a lot about his ceiling in this division at middleweight. But. Man, if you if you played the uh, plus 600 Bush by TKO and sprinkled some, I don't blame you there. I'll just say that. But um, I think I might have only put Johnny on one of my parlays in one of my houses. That was it. It wasn't the main one, that's for sure. All right. Uh, next fight. That's right. Okay, next fight. Is the last fight main event time? Michael Chiesa versus Kevin Lee. Um, yeah, and stated bias here, Extreme Couture. Although I don't know Kevin Lee personally or professionally, never worked with him or anything like that. Um, you know, there's that gym bias there, I guess, uh, which doesn't bother me. Not you know, I, I, I can work past that, but take it for what you will. Um, Kevin Lee minus 140, Michael Chiesa plus 120. I agree with this here. You know, Chiesa has more of the name and. Has done more of the miles, even though their experience and age isn't too far off. But Kiesa's also been out for over a year, and Lee has been hot and ever improving. Um, I think Lee should have the edge standing. He's the harder hitter. Uh, the problem is both these guys are all offense, and defense is their common culprit. Difference being, Kiesa is shown to be more durable, and Parlay getting hit into clinch space and you know taking down and turning, getting hit into a dogfight, which suits him. Whereas Lee has been hit, rocked, and dropped kind of throughout his ascension, and people have raised questions about his chin, and you know, rightfully so. When you go go back and look, it's something definitely to keep an eye on at least. But I do believe Lee has shown improvement, especially since working with you know Dewey Cooper, and then now more recently, splitting time even with Mayweather's where. Lee's footwork is improving, and with footwork improvements often come head movement improvements. So we're seeing him roll his head off his two more, roll his head off his hook, take it offline with his other punches. And, you know, those things are going to serve Lee well. It's a very, very wise adjustment that I'm, I'm very happy to see for him, uh, especially, you know, you know, he's probably going to be wanting to protect that chin, especially in this division. Um, it's lightweight, but it doesn't mean there's light hitters. Um that being said, I, I believe this fight just comes down to the clinch. It's who both guys, you know, are, are, are show closers. They don't have to be under a chin. They just have to get to the back, which means it comes down to clinch, wrestling, and scrambles. And in 
all those minus the scrambles, I give it to Lee. It's hard to kind of side with anybody over Kiesa in the scramble department because Kiesa hustles like a dog, man. He gets after it. But I believe Lee is a much more polished wrestler. He's much more quicker, much more athletic, much more explosive, uh, much more, yeah, much more technical wrestler. Um, all the above, you know. I think he's gonna get the takedowns. And although Lee, you know, we've seen him get his back taken before when he turtles to stand, as a lot of wrestlers do. Kiesa also has the same wrestling base and confidence in his submission game to go to boot, which is why you know Lee will be, or not Lee, but. Uh, uh, Kiesa will be, you know, just as culpable as Lee is as far as getting his back taken. And I think, I think Lee is going to find his back and 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 get the submission. You know, maybe he could punch him out. And I'm going to regret my prop that I played here. If you look at the official prop, I sub plus four thirty four. I only put a quarter unit on that because the number was just so high and so tempting. Because that's my read. I, I think he gets the submission. Uh, Kiesa is very open to the body lock, being that he's very tall. That's the hardest takedown. You know, and, and it's the thing he's most open for. Uh, it's the thing Lee's best at, hitting it from multiple angles, whether he's in tight against the fence or he's on the open scrambling for position and has to reshoot and re-wrestle for a second time, he'll still get it. And he's great. Once he gets the body lock, he'll circle, step around to the back, look lightning quick, get some hooks in, and he'll start you know, working it down, flattening it out. So I like Lee to do that. If you want to hedge as a prop, I put it under parlay with a little asterisk there um, for... With the note, you know, if the house you gamble at allows you to parlay props, if they do, I suggest uh, Lee Kiesa does not go the distance when you, depending on what house you're looking at, getting anywhere from, you know, minus 255 to minus 265, depending which house you're looking at there. Because I don't think this thing goes the five round distance, not with their styles, not with the emotions, not with the spotlight, not with all these intangibles point to no, much less their style. Uh, on a technical aspect, points to no. So I, I feel really good about that. It's sitting pretty right now. Again, between minus 255 and minus 265 if you want to play that. All right. Um, that's it for UFC Oklahoma. Maybe I'll watch Bellator. If I do, I will tweet. Otherwise, I'll probably be off the internet all day because of the damn tape delay for even the prelims. And I'll probably just catch everything after the fact kind of a deal. And, uh, yep, I'll be on Twitter live tweeting for that for the uh, Sunday UFC Oklahoma City card. Uh, I don't know if we'll do a recap or after party. We'll see how I'm feeling. I'm going to do a top five next week. Again, chime in that using hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast. Follow us at the PYM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Please share, add, like. You want to support the show, you can click through. Uh, donate PayPal at MixedMartialAnalyst.com where all our episodes are archived on smartphone-friendly players. Again, articles out. There's an article section there where you find my BJ Penn article, the breakdown section where our breakdown is now posted. Um, it means a lot. The most you can do, of course, is tell a friend, share the content, share the love. That's the best thing you can do, even better than clicking or, or giving any of your money to anywhere, me or anywhere else. You can save it all and just, just spread the word that way. Um, all right, we'll have more... Yeah, oh yeah, ratings on iTunes too, five-star ratings and reviews. I've seen more of those. Thank you. Please keep them coming. That actually helps a big ton if you could do those. That would be awesome, uh, the Protect Your Neck podcast. But uh, yeah, until next time, watch out for possessed females. Don't slip on the banana peels. Watch out for dogs that uh, 
try to lick me while I'm doing the podcast. I see you, Ben. I see you. I'm trying to go. Can I go? All right, I got to get out of here. The dog's coming at me. Protect your neck.